You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show today, I am being joined by Ricky Bruley. Now, Ricky is an avid outdoorsman. I mean, he does everything from biking and skateboarding and snowboarding to hiking, camping, canoeing, hunting, fishing, you name it. Not to mention, he's been in the outdoor industry for a couple decades now. And so I am really excited to talk to him about his outdoor obsession, his hobbies, what he does in the industry. This should be an awesome chat. So let's jump in. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is a new acquaintance, Ricky Bruley. Dude, thanks for hopping on with me, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Look forward to having a chat with you for sure. Yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, so you are creative director at Vapor Trail. You're up in Minnesota. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, kind of what you do in the outdoor space? So, you know, been hunting as long as I can remember. Uh, you know, first started, you know, getting out in the outdoors with my old man when I was like six, seven years old. Yeah. Uh, grouse hunting, fishing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, once I turned 12, did a bunch of, you know, started rifle hunting with my dad, 16, got interested in, you know, extending my season and doing some bow hunting. So I, you know, saved up some money and bought a PSC, uh, Polaris for like 70 bucks from my buddy's dad. Uh, and so I started shooting in the backyard and that the archery thing is really what's, um, piqued my interest the most you know, I still, I still love to fish and do, you know, grouse hunt and do all those kinds of things. But when it comes to my biggest passion, it's always been in archery and mostly, um, like any opportunity that I can get to get out West and chase after mule deer. Um, that's, that's kind of my thing. That's what I really like to do. And, uh, so with all of that being said, you know, I went to college, um, got my degree in graphic design that, uh, it's my professional trade. And then, um, just picked up some part-time work, working for Sportsman's Warehouse, started working full-time. Uh, then I I moved down to the Minneapolis area because they had a need in one of their stores, became a manager there. And then as we were, we were selling Vapor Trail products out of that, out of that particular location. And the Vapor Trail headquarters was only a few miles down the road. So every once in a while, if I needed something quick for a customer, I'd just run up there and pick it up and walked in, just started chatting with those guys. The previous owners and became friends with them. They taught me how to build a bow string. And so I was doing that just kind of on the side, building strings, just supplemental income for some extra money and started doing some design work for them. I was just kind of soliciting them a little bit. I'm like, man, your catalogs, they need some work, you know, oh, your packaging needs some work. 
so then they brought me in to start doing some design work and then that the rest is history. That was 2006. So now I'm going on almost 17 years there, uh, in June. That's yeah. cool, man. The, uh, once you get into the outdoor space or into the industry altogether, the connections just seem to like come one after the next. And that's what I love about it. You know, a lot of people ask all the time, like, dude, how do I get in? How do I get in? And I'm yeah. like, just pick something you enjoy doing and, mm-hmm. and do it as good as you can, you know, like to the best of your ability, and the connections will happen. And if you grind, that's that's the other thing. You got to be consistent and you got to grind. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to take off. But there's a thousand different jobs in the outdoor industry. Mm-hmm. And people people seem to think like outdoor industry is making YouTube videos, making a podcast, being on a TV show. And it's like, dude, there's so much more than that. And you can get awesome opportunities all throughout. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I... I yeah, I love the like the archery community. Um, you know, I've had a lot of uh, points, you know, throughout these last seventeen years where I'm like, okay, you know, I think maybe I can pass the torch and move on to something different. Or because uh, even though uh, this is a passion of mine and I love it, sometimes it has its struggles because when we're getting into our busy season, uh, that's when everybody else is getting ready. So we, so I oftentimes find myself getting everybody else ready for the season. And then I'm scrambling last minute, trying to get my bow set up, get my bow tuned. I don't get to shoot near as much as I used to, you know? So a lot of those things that there's some of those things that kind of get in the way of what I want to do, but I just, for whatever reason, um, you know, the path that, uh, has been laid out for me, just, just keeps me here. Anytime I start to have any doubts or want to move on or do something different, like something kind of pulls me back in. So, and, I have no regrets about any of that. I've grown uh, a ton in this, in this position here, had tons of opportunities to hunt and, and run around in the, in the woods and the mountains, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's definitely created a lot of that for me. And I, I, I appreciate that part of the job for sure. Yeah. That's sweet, man. Uh, where, where did you start mule deer hunting? Cause you said archery and mule deer specifically is kind yeah. of your big passion. Where did that come from? Cause being in Minnesota, I mean, that's like, <laughs> Big woods, whitetail hunting or farmland, whitetail hunting. So mule deer is kind of a stretch for a lot of people when they grow up in those locations. Yeah. So honestly, I, I never really had even thought about doing anything like that. You know, elk hunting was always somewhat intriguing to me. Just the thought of doing it with a bow when I, when I first really started uh, getting d- started diving into archery pretty heavily in, in 2005, that's when I really started getting back into it, getting heavy into it. When I went to college, I kind of lost, uh, lost some interest, just got too busy. But anyway, yeah. fast forward 2005, 2006, I was working with a friend of mine and, uh, he was like, I'm going out to North Dakota. I have an any deer tag. You should just come, just come with me. Just come hang out. You know, we'll maybe find some sheds or whatever. We'll just run around in the Hills and, and see what you think. And so I went out and I was just instantly hooked. I didn't have a bow with me, but I was like, next year, I'm gonna have a bow in my hand for sure. And ever since then, it's just, I got the bug and I just absolutely, I I like, um, I like the solitude and everything of sitting in a tree but at the same time, there's, there's something about chasing after them, you know, gaining that skill, skill set. And at that time I wasn't, again, I was just kind of getting back into it. So I didn't have, 
you know, I didn't have property that I could hunt. I didn't have food plots that I could hunt over. I didn't everything. I, the only opportunities I have were public land and in the Metro area around here, it's really tough. There's a lot of people running around. Uh, you really got to get off the beaten path. There's been a few times where I really try to hike as back, back as far as I possibly could into public land. And you get back there and you're like, this looks like a good spot. And all of a sudden there, there's a tree stand there. And then you see another tree stand over there. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, and technically you're not supposed to leave that stuff out on public land, but they're so far back that they probably weren't even worried about it. You know, they just had it set up. And so, you know, so many times I'd climb up into a tree or put up a ground blind and then, you know, half hour after sunset, you know, a guy comes out and then climbs a tree, you know, 20 yards away from me. And you're just like, Oh man, you know? <laughs> so just the opportunities of public land, you know, getting into some Western States and it just being more wide open, running into less people. Uh, that was a huge attraction for me. And, uh, my friend Ben that took me out there was, was pretty knowledgeable. Uh, he helped me get my first mule deer and my second mule deer. So I got to give him a ton of credit for that. And ever since then, that's just, that's been it. I've just been hooked to it. So that's sweet. Do you, do you go to different States or do you primarily stick with North Dakota? Uh, I've, uh, been successful in both North Dakota and South Dakota. And, uh, other than that, I haven't hunted mule deer in any other States, mostly just because time is limited, right? So you find a spot, it takes a couple of years to find a good place where you know where the deer are running around and you have good opportunities. So it's like, I just always stuck with that. Um, part of the reason I ended up going to South Dakota actually is because uh, back then you it was easy to get a tag in North Dakota. As long as you put in your application uh, before the deadline, you're pretty much guaranteed to get one. Yeah. Things started to change a little bit. The population was dwindling, blue tongue, some other things, harsh winters. So it was harder to get a tag. So then I started going to South Dakota mm -hmm. and then, um, so I've been successful there. And then now South Dakota starting to change things as far as non-residents, it's getting more difficult now to get, um, access permits to some of the areas that I was hunting. So now I've just been, um, I decided, all right, I'm going to, I had, I don't have a nice white tail. So I focused on getting myself a nice white tail here in Minnesota and that was 2017. And then that first season I hunted, um, I was hunting in a, in a Metro hunt and I ended up killing my, my one and only Booner that year in November. So Dang. I'm like, all right, well, I got that done. Now what do I do? So, um, trying to up the challenge a little bit last year, I went to the boundary waters canoe area to hunt bears. I've got two bears under my belt, but I wanted to kind of increase the challenge. It's really difficult to hunt them up there. So, uh, that's what I did last year. Didn't have success, but I'm hoping to try to get up there again this year. Although if I draw my North Dakota mule deer tag this year, well, that's going to trump the bear tag. So we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. That's one thing I've been into archery. Gosh, I actually was just talking to a guy from Browning trail cameras yesterday and mm -hmm. he was talking about all the different Browning products and the first bow I ever shot was a super old Browning bow. And nice. it was like, it couldn't have been more than like 30% let off, man. It was like <laughs> my dad's bow. He had this, <laughs> he had this box and the arrows were just like every different shaft diameter, every different length, different fletching, nothing was uniform. And I would just shoot through that box of, uh, of arrows all day long. <laughs> and, uh, but I got into it when I was pretty young and absolutely loved it but that's one thing that i haven't fully dove into not because i don't want to but because my other hunting schedule has been so busy right. i haven't really got to spend a ton of time archery hunting out west 
And so that's a big uh, checklist item for me this year. Uh, similar to you, I went with a friend of mine, didn't have a bow, just walked around with her trying to help her get a mule deer. And yeah. as soon as I did that hunt, I was like, I'm doing it. Like I have got to do this because the opportunity and like you said, chasing after them, that adds so much to it. Like you have to know what you're doing. You have to play the wind and the thermals and the terrain and kind of pattern these deer that might not be on a normal pattern. Yeah. And, you know, they might, they might move two mountain ranges overnight versus a whitetail is going to stick within the same couple hundred acres, mm -hmm. uh, typically. So that's yeah. going to be hopefully this year, I've got a bunch of tags that I've put in for, we'll see which ones I get. And yeah, hopefully I can go stick a mule deer this year. Yeah, man. I mean, good luck with that. And I, I mean, with getting the tag and then, you know, once, once the time comes, yeah, you'll, you'll love it. You'll have a blast. And I had an opportunity. I hunted elk in Idaho in 2019 and I didn't have any success. I sort of did, but sort of didn't kind of a long story and we can get into that too. But, uh, now after going on that hunt, I was like, Oh man, I need, I need to do that again. The only thing that stopped me from hunting elk, um, is just financial reasons. You know what I mean? Just trying to, trying to justify, you know, now that I have a family and stuff, it's really important, you know, to get, make sure you got, you know, the food on the table. So it's hard for me to, to uh, invest that much money in a hunt and not come home with any meat. So yeah. I have, I have to be very uh, careful about where I'm putting my money and make sure that it's going to, you know, that I'm going to get some good value out of it. Uh, so I'm hoping to go back. I've been applying for, um, points in, in Wyoming, Colorado, uh, and also Arizona. So hopefully, I mean, Arizona is going to be a ways down the road, but, uh, Colorado, I've got several points in Wyoming. So within the next couple of years, I should be able to, I'm just, I know I'm not going to have the opportunity to go out to those States this next upcoming year. So I'm just, just trying to build points and build points so I can get tags in some, some good areas. I've got buddies out, uh, in both States that, uh, want to take me out. So I've got spots that I can go Montana as well. Uh, but again, the $1,200 elk mule deer combo tag is a little, little tough to, um, uh, to squeeze that in right now, but I'll be doing that someday too. So, yeah, that's the, I mean, the nice thing about some of these Western States is you can get into like over the counter tags, but also be building points the whole yeah. time. Mm -hmm. And, but like you said, the problem is that financial burden of, you know, six hundred, twelve hundred dollars per tag. Yeah, that's that's not easy to swallow. And there's places where you know all the guys are hanging up their tags that they don't shoot at the local town hall or you know <laughs> on the rec center building or wherever they go and buy their tag beforehand mm -hmm. uh, that they don't that they don't shoot a bull or, or or a buck. And I'm like, dude, I can't imagine going out year after year spending that kind of money. And the guys that do it in multiple states, you know, they might be four grand deep into tags and they might be successful on one of them. Mm -hmm. I'm not at the position where I can, where I can justify that. Like I go where my odds are the highest and thankfully I've had pretty good success out West hunting, but I know that once I get into the archery game, my, my chances go way down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. So you guys, you guys are talking about starting a podcast. Uh, what is that all going to be about? Uh, so initially we just want to, our main goal is brand awareness. You know, we've been in business for almost 30 years and there's still a lot of people that haven't heard about us. So want to make sure that we can kind of get the word out. 
you know, f- for the last couple of years, we've been kind of talking about it and I, and I was just always going, man, it's, there's so many out there. I don't know how we could, I don't know how it would benefit us or I don't know, you know, all those kinds of things. But this year, um, I, I got a pretty tight budget and uh, as far as like our marketing uh, side of things. And so, um, I just thought I'd kind of take a pivot, um, and again, try to get, try to get the word out there a little bit. Talk. We want to talk about our history. We want to talk about the original founder of the, of the company. He's he's no longer with us, but he was kind of a legend in his own time. So just want to bring some awareness, uh, about who he was and how he brought, uh, you know, what he's done for the industry, um, as a whole. And then also just start getting into kind of, um, talking about general archery, stuff you know we've got a pro shop here too so my um, co-host is the general manager of the pro shop he's really experienced he's a lot more experienced in the target uh area than i am so he can kind of bring he'll be able to bring that portion of it to the table so we've got a episode scheduled out where we're going to talk about some of the 3d shoots coming up this summer you know r100 tac um, but we've got a local event up here called bowfest that's pretty popular so we'll get into that talking a lot about um you know like draw deadlines you know it around this time of year, you know, within like January, February, we'll, we'll get into talking about that, you know, when, when to start applying for certain States and when the deadlines are just to kind of bring people up to speed on some of that stuff, talking about uh, technical tuning techniques for archery equipment. I'm a little more old school, so, you know, I'll be bringing some of that to the table. And then our co-host is, we call him Hollywood. Um, and he's going to be bringing, you know, his flavor to the table when it comes to the target type stuff. And then, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically what we want to get into. We're, we've got some pretty good guests online or scheduled, um, that we're going to talk to. We sponsor, um, Jason Matzinger and his TV show. So we're going to get him on, um, for an episode, uh, my buddy that back in the day used to bring me out to North Dakota, we'll get him on and kind of chat how we got, just like I was ta- talking with you about how he got me into the, um, doing the Western hunting. We've got, uh, we also sponsor, um, Corey Anderson. He's an MMA fighter. So he's going to be on an episode and, um, we got Kurt Wells, you know, we've got just a, a long list of interviews that we want to do as well. Just interesting people to talk to, uh, specifically in archery realm. So. All right, guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the helicopter hog hunt that I did down in Texas. Now I went down there with Rogue Texan Outfitters and Landon and Brandon, the owners, put us on the animals. We killed 150 pigs and 19 coyotes just from the air. On top of that, we went out thermal hunting at night and got up close and personal to more hogs. I didn't have to worry about bringing guns or ammunition because all of that was provided for me. And it is to this day the most action-packed day of hunting I've ever had. I stand by what I've said in the past, and that's that helicopter hog hunting is the funnest thing that you can do with pants on. In addition, they offer sandhill crane hunts and predator calling. So if you're looking for the most exciting hunt of your life and something that you're going to want to come back and do year after year, go check out roguetexan.com and book your hunt today. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I I'm looking forward to hearing it, and uh, I love when people come out with new podcasts because I'm I'm the guy that like binge listens on long car rides, and then I get <laughs> caught up, and I'm like, dang it, I need a new one, and yeah. uh, so I'm always adding new new podcasts to the library. Um, you mentioned being kind of more of the old school uh, 
archery hunter. What it, what do you mean by that? Like, are you not necessarily into the gimmicky things? Like, because I do see the archery space is blowing up. I mean, everybody's getting into archery and not that it hasn't been big in the past, but it seems like it's just booming right now with all the media being put out, like the short content, YouTube, podcasting, Western hunting and traveling and experiencing new types of hunts. It just seems like archery is kind of getting a second wind right now. But with that, you get a bunch of the weird stuff, you know, like <laughs> everybody's got a new invention for, for bows. And I feel like a lot of things in the hunting world are gimmicky, but then they might also be usable. Like, I don't know what rest you shoot, uh, but the whisker biscuit, when that first came out, it's like everybody had to have it. Now, I don't think I know anybody who has one. <laughs> It, yeah. So uh, naturally, you know, we manufacture, uh, the limb driver arrow rest. So that's what I shoot. Uh, and that's really what got me started with vapor trails is just really loving their products, loving the product, the, the bow strings, the arrow rests, all that. That's what yeah. got me started. I was selling them at sportsman's warehouse. So just getting into working for this company naturally worked out really well because it's easy to sell a product that you trust and that you like, yeah. uh, go back to the whisker biscuit. Um, yeah, I mean, I we in our pro shop, uh, you know, we've got a lot of package bows that have that rest on it, and it's a it's definitely a great option for anybody, really. For the most part, we you know we recommend it for um, people just starting out. It's always a better way to go. Dropaways can be tricky, and if you're not paying attention, you know, you you could run into a problem. Uh, but of course, we always you know with the with we put it on and and set it up with the you know, we preface it saying like, you know, down the road, when you get a little bit more experienced, you know, we'll get you an arrow rest that can help you kind of extend your range a little bit because it's more forgiving. And so I guess when it comes to, you know, your question about me being a little bit more old school, there's a, to your point with gimmicky stuff, you know, like you're talking about, uh, you know, keep it simple is kind of where I'm at there. I love to get in the weeds about really technical stuff but a lot of that stuff just might not be necessary as far as, you know, the way, you know, some people get all crazy with tying their peep in and they've got, you know, they got to, you know, wrap the strand all the way around and just, they've locked that thing in there so tight that it, it isn't going to move anywhere. And then when something changes, now you got to, got to adjust it. Now you have to cut the, you know, your, uh, your tie-ins out and you run the risk of cutting your string, you know, just little things like that. And then, um, you know, the craze with like super heavy arrows, super high FOC, all that kind of stuff. I can see the advantages when it comes to some of that stuff, but it's really not, it, it, it's, it's getting to be a little bit too crazy. I mean, I've never had an issue with, um, you know, having an arrow blast through a deer that is, you know, I'm shooting a 70 pound bow. It's a 425 grain arrow and never had a problem with a blast through a deer. I mean, even at 65 yards, um, you know, my, the second mule deer I ever shot when I was out in North Dakota, uh, was a 92 yard shot. And I will say I got, I got lucky for sure. I was practicing a lot at that distance. So there is some of that, but I definitely got lucky as far as like wind and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I'm, I, I can't take hundred percent credit for that. The Lord was guiding that arrow. I tell you what, but complete pass through, you know? And so, um, I didn't need to have a super, a heavy arrow to do that. And I didn't need to shoot an 80 pound bow to do that. You know, there's, there's things that you can do. You can shoot a 50 pound bow. You just lighten up your arrow. You just got to make sure that everything is, uh, you know, coincides with, you know, what your setup is. And so there's, you know, that's not to say that that's all just old school thinking. Right. But again, 
um, there's just, there's so many things that, that go on, uh, that just really aren't necessary. And then they gain this popularity and then soon people think, oh, it's absolutely necessary for me to have a 600 grain arrow, even though I don't shoot more than 30 yards, you know, they're like, oh, I, I don't have to worry about too much drop on my 600 grain arrow. Cause I'm only shooting at 30 or 40 yards. Okay. Well, but if you're only shooting 30 or 40 yards, then I, I don't see the need to have an arrow that heavy, honestly, you know, yeah. speed, speed plays a factor in. Uh, all of that, you know, so when you get a super heavy arrow, now you're reducing your speed. That's part of the equation when it comes to kinetic energy. And so there's a happy medium there. Um, and so, you know, and, and our, uh, my co-host Hollywood, he, you know, he shares the same beliefs as I do, but then he's also like, I just do things the way that I do things because they work and I don't change it, but he's also kind of more progressive. He's seeing what other guys are doing out there. And, and we have customers that come in that want that kind of stuff. So, we do have to have a technician that can um, get them what they want. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a fine line between uh, like what's practical and, and what is actually going to help you like in the long run, because I'm a, I'm a gear junkie, man. Like when I see stuff come out, I'm like, Oh, that looks amazing. I don't know how I've hunted without that. And then I get it and I find myself not using it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, it's not as great. You know, somebody did a great job marketing it because they made me think I had to have it. Um, right. But as far as like changing my setup on my bow, I recently got a new bow, but I don't see myself changing it anytime soon. Yeah. On the flip side, I've seen guys where it's like every year they buy the newest model mm-hmm. and they put all the newest stuff on it. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> who has that kind of budget, man? That's not cheap. You know, they're cycling out all their arrows. They're changing their their shaft diameter, like those micro arrows. I saw those at ATA this year, like for the first time in person. And I'm like, dude, this thing is tiny. Yeah. And I mean, I could see there's probably some benefits to it. But then I look at it and I go, okay, at the range, if you go just off of feet per second, kinetic energy, like if you look at the weight of the arrow, the length of it, it's all the same. It's just a tinier, like a thinner arrow. And mm-hmm. so... People, people get really into it though, man, the science behind it. And like, even just adding two feet per second, I'm like, ah, I don't really care that much. I'd rather not have to totally retune my bow just to shoot a new arrow. Right. Yeah. I, and, and I'm with you. I, I used to do the same thing. Actually, I used to get a new bow every year and, you know, and you know how it is you get one, once you have a family, it's, it's like, man, my bow was tuned up. I don't want it. I don't want, you know, the bows I have right now are all three years old because I wanted to change anything out just because again, like they're shooting great and I've got enough arrows to last me quite a while. So I don't, I, I don't have to change anything for quite some time, which is kind of a nice thing at the same time with our job. Now it, I get that FOMO where I'm, where I'm like, Ooh, we get the, Oh, there's a new arrow. What, what, you know, I start looking up the specs and then I'm like, no, stop. You don't need it. Don't do it. You got, you know, I've got like four dozen Easton injections. I'm, I'm going to just keep shooting what I've got so I can at least get through some of those arrows. Um, so, but yeah, and, and, and not to, I'm also not trying to dog on anybody that, uh, you know, that wants a super high FOC or a really heavy arrow, obviously it works. And if it works for you, that's great. I just, that's where I feel like I'm a little bit more old school, so to speak. So, yeah. Yeah. I've had to tell myself it when I see a new product, do not purchase it right away. (laughs) Wait five days. And if you're still just like, man, I really do. Like I have been needing that, then go ahead and get it. Otherwise I would have a whole, I'd have a whole garage full of stuff that I impulse bought. 
and didn't use. But yeah, I mean, once you get comfortable with your setup, it I don't see a need to change. The whole adage like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's yeah. where I'm at. I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, I love the way my bow shoots. I I feel confident with it. I can reach out there and like my max that I've shot is a hundred yards, but I also haven't been on any hunts that I've needed to shoot that far. But like to yeah. get comfortable with your equipment, nothing is gonna beat that. Right. No, no amount of stuff like and ninety nine point nine percent of people can't outshoot their equipment. You know, their equipment isn't what's holding them back. It's probably them, their technique, the amount of repetitions they're putting on the range. And so that's where I'm at. I've got to convince myself, like, dude, I'm not that good of an archer to where I have to have the newest everything. Yeah. I need to, once I get, you know, as close to perfect as possible with my current equipment, then maybe I can look at upgrading it. For sure. There, and there's definitely some things that you can do to make your setup a little bit more forgiving. But again, ultimately, it just comes down to comes down to practicing and making sure that you're you're consistent and you get that muscle memory down and that you're you know taking advice from other people, just kind of watching you shoot too. You know, have other people watch and and make sure that your stance is good and that your form is good and all that kind of stuff to make sure that you're you're shooting consistently. And then also practicing in the environment you're going to hunt in. You know, that's another one that I I run into a lot. I used to coordinate some metro hunts here. And we would be tracking deer because, uh, you know, guys just, you know, they get into that situation where a deer comes out and they're in the stand and they just completely just lose their mind, you know, and I've been down that road too. So I get it. Right. But they just, you know, they might be practicing all day long in the backyard and shooting well and grouping their arrows really tight. But when that deer comes out, it's a different ball game. And so a lot of guys don't realize that. And so you know, again, just, you know, you want to be shooting with all your equipment that you're all the gear, all the clothing of, if you got a face mask, a, whatever, you name it, um, make sure you're put, wearing all that stuff and practicing in it to make sure that, uh, you know, you're going to be shooting consistently with the, the situation you're going to be shooting in. Yeah. What do you, what do you do to prepare for like a high pressure shot or, you know, that moment of truth when you're actually drawing back on a, on a mule deer or a whitetail? Um, well, that's a tough one. I mean, when I went out elk hunting, uh, I was, when I was practicing my backyard, I, you know, I have a Glendale, um, full rut buck that I shoot at, but it literally was just trying to envision an elk stepping out to the point where even sometimes like it, my heart would even start to race. Cause I'm just imagining being in that situation in that moment. And it gets your heart rate going, get your heart pumping a little bit. Um, and then, so, so now you're, that's about as good as you can get anyways, as far as that scenario was really just imagining it and, and trying to get your heart rate up. You know, some other things we used to do is there was an archery club we used to, um, shoot at that was, you know, had some terrain. So we would, we would literally run up the hill and then when we'd get to the top, you know, n- knock an arrow and then try to shoot when you're, you know, when you're under that stress to see how well you can do it. So we would practice that quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I think a lot of these uh, archery competitions, like you were talking about a little while ago, is a really good way to get people used to that high pressure. And it's nothing ever is going to compare to the adrenaline you have when a buck or a bull or something steps out in front of you. But if you can at least somewhat simulate that and get your heart racing, you know, maybe there's people watching you, even even those steel targets I've seen, you know, only the vital is foam and everything else is steel. So like your arrow is going to explode on impact. Like mm-hmm. that adds an element of 
of stress to it. Like, dude, I don't want to blow through these arrows. Uh, And so that's one thing that I need to do better at. Now I haven't, I've never been the guy that gets like buck fever, bull fever really bad. I get like in this weird zone once that moment happens. And then all of my panic, all of my like stress, my heart rate, everything goes through the roof as soon as I pull the trigger or send an arrow. And then I'm a mess, dude. Like I would be the guy that falls out of a tree stand because I forget that I'm in a tree uh, because I'm just so jacked. I mean, like there's times where I'm calling my wife and she's like, are you crying? And I'm like, I'm not crying, but like I'm, my whole body is shaking as if I'm freezing cold right now. And it's just from a, a rush of adrenaline and endorphins. Um, and so that's one thing that I haven't necessarily been able to relate with people on. But yeah. I totally get it because I think about, man, if I if I was in that state and had to draw back on an animal, forget it, dude. I'd, never, I'd be I'd be buying my meat from the store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think one thing is, too, is, you know, I made a mistake early on when I was bow hunting. I I had this mentality where I was going to only shoot bucks and and big bucks. So in the first few years that I bow hunted, I, I would just let every doe go by. I would let every buck go by. Didn't matter, you know. And so then when when a big buck finally came out, I just totally whiffed. You know, I didn't, I would, and I don't know that I would say that I like lost my mind, but I just remember, I, I don't even remember taking the shot. You know what I mean? Like I didn't go through the motions of making sure my anchor point was set, making sure my peep alignment was, was proper, making sure, you know, and then, and back then I did, you know, they didn't have movable sites back then. So you just had pins, you know, I had the old metal pin with a little fiber optic on the end. But, um, so I totally blew that, you know, and then, um, I started to learn and I had somebody tell me once, like, you got to start, you know, getting some deer under your belt, shoot some does, you know, get, get that um, experience. So then that way it kind of helps to calm you down a little bit. You get used to it. And so again, to your, so now I'm more to the point where you're at, where I kind of get in this little bit of a zone. I shoot enough now where I've got the muscle memory. So I don't have to worry too much about whether my form or, you know, whether my follow through is going to be good. Just all I got to do is just go through the steps of making sure my anchor points good. My peep is aligned properly. I've got the right pin on the deer. And now I'm just waiting for the right shot opportunity to pull the trigger. Uh, so that, you know, but it was just about getting, getting some animals under my belt, you know, uh, and getting that experience out of the way. So then that way, when, when the moment of truth comes around, then you're, you you know, you got a better chance at success. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I do see a lot of guys now that will go and do dome management before they actually go out and hunt the rut or chase after a big buck. And they're like, it gets, it gets those jitters out because when you've gone, you know, 340 days since you last shot a deer yeah, and you get out there and your target bucks in front of you, it's, it's a different ball game than if you've been out in the stands shooting does, shooting coyotes, shooting turkeys, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you have an opportunity, you know, you've been there, you know how it feels, you know how to handle it. I do think it's funny though. You were talking about the different, uh, the different sites on your bow. And I remember back to the gimmicky items I remember with my dad being at an archery shop in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, <laughs> and I saw this packet on the shelf and it was next to all the sites and it was these little clip on reflective, like te- it, imagine like bright pink, yellow, green, uh, popsicle sticks on the end of like a uh, clothespin, right? 
and they oh. correlated with the different the different colors of your pins. And so the whole idea was that you go and clip them on limbs at the different ranges from your tree stand. So that oh. when an animal came in, you knew like, oh, that's by the pink, you know, the pink popsicle stick. I need to use my third <laughs> pin. Dude, I straight up bought those thinking like, this is going to be a game changer. You know, I don't have to guess. And <laughs> if I wasn't cheap, I would have just bought a range finder. But, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to get these. And I had... You could look around. You could look around my stand, and it was like every tree you looked at had these little colored deals on it that I've clipped on trees, and it never helped me kill a deer. I did not kill a deer out of that stand ever with my bow. <laughs> that's funny. I I mean, I get the concept. It does make sense, and I can see where it would make someone go, "Hey, that's a great idea," and then buy it. You know, it's probably within you know easily within someone's budget. So you're like, "Well, yeah. if I'm." I don't use it, whatever, no big deal. So kind of a smart idea, but I get what you're saying, you know, and, and I'm, w- I'm with you on that too, as far as archery. I can't, I can't think of anything on the archery side of things, but like when it comes to like, uh, there's a few things that I bought, you know, uh, like for my handgun, like for carrying and things like that. I, I bought one of those like thumbprint uh, safes, you know, when I, when my, when my daughter was born, cause I'm like, yeah, I want to be able to just real quick access my handgun. And then the thing doesn't work half the time, you know, yeah. um, trying to get your fingerprint on there in the dark is near impossible. It didn't ever worked well, you know, that kind of thing. I remember there was a holster that I got, um, that I was like, you know, it was like 60 bucks and I was like, Oh, this thing's going to be sweet. And I, I honestly just sold it recently. I've had it for like three years, but I finally just sold it because it just wasn't comfortable. I didn't like it. And, and it was a great idea. One of those concepts where you're like, Oh, that's awesome. But then when you actually try it, you're like, man, this thing isn't even comfortable at all. Like any, you know, I can't even sit down, you know, without a jab and without the gun jabbing into my leg, you know, so things like that fishing. Oh my gosh. I've bought so many gimmicky, gimmicky fishing things. I can't even, you know, and I, I'm, I'm an average, well, I'm below average fish fisherman at best, you know, so I'm always trying to find some sort of, you know, way to catch fish better, you know, but I haven't been able to find that, you know, you remember the banjo minnow, you ever heard of that the banjo minnow banjo minnow. I feel like if I saw it, I would know what you're talking about. I'm proud to say that I never gave in to the infomercials late at night to buy it. But yeah, that was one. Every time I say something to uh, somebody who's really experienced in fishing, I mention the banjo minnow and they, they always giggle and laugh because it's just, it's nothing special, but they make it seem like it's really lifelike and it's, you know, buy now and, you know, we'll send you, a, you know, an extra pack for your friend and, you know, that kind of situation. Oh, yeah. You know, you get them and then you're like, hmm. Or easy payments of five ninety nine, <laughs> Right. <laughs> Dude, all of those things, man. I, I used to sit up, like I'd be watching TV back before all of the streaming platforms, you know, where you could just watch whatever you wanted on demand. I'd mm-hmm. be like flipping through channels and I would always get stuck on those stinking infomercials, man. The Miracle Blade. <laughs> The Miracle Blade series, dude, I would watch that over and over, watch them slice through a pineapple, and they're like, this is a bread knife, and I'm going to use it to cut sheetrock, and I'm going to cut this soda can, and then watch, I can drop a tomato on it. And I'm like, I don't know why, man, they're good. They they get you. And thankfully, I have never bought anything from an infomercial. But if I'm in the (laughs) store, you better believe I'm buying crap that I don't need all the time. Oh, for sure. Definitely. You know, and you got to get, you got to get it out, right? Like you just got to buy it and then realize, oh man, I need to, I need to second, uh, you know, put some second thought into that before I start buying things. But yeah, there's a lot of gimmicky stuff out there for sure. Yeah. The hunting section, we've got Bass Pro headquarters here in town Mm -hmm. in that place, man, I go through there. And now I do have a lot of things that I'm like, I want this and I want 
we bought 25 acres uh, just outside of town, and I want to set up just a sweet like 150-yard archery range, and I want to have a bunch of different targets all the way out there, have my buddies over, you know, have bow hangers where they can set set their stuff and like have have a bow press out there and just, I mean, everything that you need to shoot, to tune, all of it. Yeah. Other than that, I just need to have blinders on when I walk through Bass Pro because <laughs> I bought my wife's like, what, is, what all did you get? You went in for ammo. And I'm like, oh, well, I saw this. And I remember like I've needed one of these. And she's like, I've never heard you mention that product ever. <laughs> so I can't imagine that you actually need that. And she's right most of the time. All right, guys, I'm excited to introduce the new age of accessing private property for hunting and fishing with Infinite Outdoors. I joined the Infinite Outdoors crew on a duck hunt in Colorado this fall, and the experience was unmatched. We were able to book the property right on their app, get directions to the blind, and had the whole place to ourselves, all for a super reasonable price. Infinite Outdoors has developed a unique way to combine conservation, technology, and private land access all through their U.S. built app and website. By working closely with landowners and on-staff biologists, they aim to bring you the best parts of accessing private land at the touch of a finger. They provide adventures for big game, turkeys, waterfowl, fly fishing, upland birds, small game, predators, and more. As yearly leases get more expensive and secluded public land gets harder to find, I believe this is the way of the future. To check it out for yourself, download the Infinite Outdoors app or visit infiniteoutdoorsusa.com and use code NOMADIC15 for 15% off your annual membership of $39.99. Yeah, no, that's funny. Yeah, it makes me think about um, some of the some of the stuff that you guys have out there, some of the reels and everything. It's, it's hilarious. A lot of stuff you guys do crack me up. <laughs> It's, it's bad. Lately it's been video equipment because I'm like, I'm, I'm set like, dude, I am going to start filming my hunts. I'm going to start getting things on camera. And so I bought GoPros and I bought a really nice camera and I bought a drone and I bought like a DJI like gimbal thing that will like track movement and nice dude, I've, I've made almost zero videos with this. Stuff. And so finally I told my wife, it's not, it's not that I don't want to, I take it out there with me every time, but I'm the guy who in the moment I don't hit record because I'm just so locked into what I'm doing. And yeah. so I said, the only way that this is going to work is if I have somebody else with me to, yep. to film. And so now my buddy Chris is going to start coming with me on hunts and, and getting film or video for me. Uh, that way I can put all of this video and audio equipment that I've purchased to use. So it doesn't yeah. just sit here and collect dust. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I hear you too. I used to want to try to do all that kind of stuff as well. And I used to haul a camera and an arm up in the tree and strap it in, you know, and do all that and try to self film hunts. And it's so hard to do to the point where I was just like, uh, I'm looking at my camera before I go out to the stand. I'm just like, forget it, you know? Mm -hmm. So then again, I got a, you know, nice DSLR that just kind of sat there in the, you know, in the, um, in its case for, you know, four or five years. And now here I break it out now and I'm able to use it for these podcasts, which is great. But, uh, yeah, it's, I could easily go down that rabbit hole and spend a lot of money on camera equipment 
um, the beauty is, is now I have uh, a young man that is helping us out with some of our content. And so I'm hoping that I can get him to uh, follow me out to North Dakota this year, assuming I draw a tag and get some good video footage and then vice versa. I'll, you know, we'll flip around and then I'll film him too. So hopefully we can get a couple of kills on camera with that. So, but yeah, definitely got to have some help. There's no doubt about that. Otherwise it just feels like it's a waste to even have it out there. Yeah. Yeah. I've carried so many things out there and doing the same thing, hanging camera arms up in the tree and all with good intention. I thought I was going to get it. What I end up doing, I'm really, really good at filming my buddies if I don't have a tag mm -hmm. and I've got some killer footage of that stuff. But if I've got a tag in my pocket, dude, you could you could put a two hundred thousand dollar camera in my pack, and I'll, I'm probably never going to use it because the the shot opportunity is way more important to me than the like getting the shot on video, right? Yeah. Um, and the, I, I watch guys on TV, and I get it. I mean, it's a business. Like you have to be business minded with it, and they won't shoot like their number one target buck because the light is too low. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, if I can see it with my eye, like if I can get an ethical shot on it i couldn't care less about the camera and they're just like no we're gonna have to come back and i'm like dude you can see it like it's not gonna be the best video but you can shoot it and get good video of it on the ground yep they just don't do it and i'm like kudos to you man you've got way more restraint than i do <laughs> yeah i always love that it's always amazing even when they can get it and they're like oh it's only a 350 inch bull i'm about to pass on that one i know there's a bigger one in there somewhere i'm like what are you kidding me <laughs> the problems that some people have man i'm like dude i i just can't imagine but it's true like the marketing side of it if you shoot if you can say like dude 400 inch bull on your youtube video it's going to get a lot of clicks versus yep. a 330 even yep. though 99 percent of people in the country that elk hunt are going to be thrilled with a 330 inch bull Absolutely. You're doing it to get the views. And obviously, you know, you've got your standards that you want to hunt. Um, it, it makes sense for those people to do it. Mm -hmm. I hope I have that problem where it's like, dude, there's a 400 inch bull in here. I'm going to pass on this 330. Yeah. I'll know that I've made it in the outdoor industry once I have that opportunity to present itself. <laughs> yeah. For sure, man. And that, I mean, that's one thing though, too, again, going back to what we were talking about with, you know, getting some animals under your belt, you know, I've always, um, I've always worked my way up, you know what I mean? So yeah. now I'm to a point where I'm a little bit pickier, uh, until I get to like maybe the last couple of days and, you know, they often caution and never do that. You know, don't wait till the last day to shoot something you, or how's that phrase go again? Don't, don't, don't pass on something you would shoot the last day. It's I've heard it a couple different ways. One is like, don't pass on something the first day that you'd shoot on the last day. And then the other ones don't shoot on, don't shoot something the last day that you'd pass the first day or something. It's along those lines. I think that's a load of crap. I'm like, <laughs> dude, nobody's had a tag burning a hole in their pocket on the last day that says that, you know, they're, they're drawn back. If it gets exciting, like you're going to draw back on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and then, you know, as far as like getting things under your belt, I also thought about uh, what we were talked about earlier is hog hunting. That's always a great way. Any, anytime I get a new archer and I'm like, man, go do a hog hunt somewhere, you know, um, that's going to be the best way and the quickest way and a more guaranteed way to, to, to send an animal or send an arrow through an animal and get that experience. Yeah. And talk about a hardy animal. Like, yeah. dude, you got to put a good shot on a pig. 
I've mm-hmm. watched a lot of poorly executed uh, killings of pigs, like even even farm pigs. I've had a couple of my buddies that have told me horror stories of trying to like slaughter a pig and it didn't go well. And I'm like, I I pig hunted in Georgia this year with my gun. And those things are just tough, man. Like, and to slip an arrow through one and get it to go down, like you don't want to be tracking a pig through the bush that's injured because those things are mean and they will tear you up. And so, yeah, yeah that's a high stretch stress situation. So if you can hunt pigs, and get yourself used to that that critical moment uh that's there's probably not many better ways to get prepared for a big buck walking out in front of you yeah for sure definitely a good way to do it cool's interesting story uh, i was hunting hogs down in florida with a couple of guys and i had shot my hog and then um the morning hunt was over and so the guy the guide came around um picked us up and uh, one of the guys that we were with hadn't uh, had an opportunity at at shooting one, and so they had a trophy hog out there. And he's like, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna go try find them, and we're gonna we're gonna let you stock it." And he was shooting a crossbow. And so we get in the cart and we're cruising around, and we and we find him, and he gets out of the cart and he you know kind of works his way through the woods and gets to a spot where he can get a shot. It's probably like a fifty yard shot or something like that. And his, his bolt hits a twig. And so it kind of careens his, his bolt off and it hits the hog in the leg. And so it takes off. Um, so then we, we continue to kind of work our way towards it, you know, pretty cautiously, the guy's got a, you know, uh, he's got an AR 15 with him, you know, just in case, whatever. And so we get up there and, um, this hog is, I don't know, 35 yards away or something like that. And, he and I had my camera, so I was I was gonna film it. I had my camera in my hand, but I wasn't ready. And the hog kind of charged us, and then it stopped at like I don't know five or six yards. And I was actually kind of shocked that the guy didn't shoot it, but um, I guess he was. He said he was confident that the hog wasn't gonna, you know, go much further. And I was like, uh. And before I could even get my camera up, my buddy puts the pin right between his eyes and drills a bolt right right between the uh hog's eyes and just drops it in its tracks <laughs> i was just i was like oh my god i could not believe it i was like that's just insane and the guy was even saying don't shoot at the head because yeah you know, they've got the tough plate and he's like your bolt will skip right off of it but he drove it drove it right in there so um i euroed it for him with the bolt still stuck in his forehead it was <laughs> just wild hunt it was cool that's really awesome. Yeah, we so when we used to butcher pigs, uh, the guys that I would butcher with, one of them was a biology teacher. And so he was very fascinated with everything, like all the inner workings of the pig. And uh, a couple times they were like, hey, do you want to like put the pig down? And I was like, okay. And they're like, it's, it's a small target. Like it's not an easy shot. So you have to be very precise with it. And he actually had a pig skull that he had cut in half. It was like a Euroed pig skull. He had cut in half and he showed me right where that uh, brain like cavity is where mm-hmm. the brain sits. And he explained, you know, if you draw a line from the eyes to the opposite ears, it makes an X and you're shooting right below that, right below the center of the X, but mm-hmm. it's got to be at a right angle. And I'm like, dude, this is insane. Like they, they really do everything on them thick wild boars. They also have that like plate, uh around their chest that's just i don't know i've got to look it up i don't know if it's cartilage hardened fat 
but like they've got this armor on them that's not easy to penetrate either it's not easy to cut through with a knife yeah so yeah when you're hunting those animals man i had the the pig that i shot this year i shot it twice it went down i walked up on it it was laying on its side still breathing so i i got down it was its back was facing away from me so i could see the belly and underneath its chin Mm. i get down with my ar go right up underneath the underneath the chin of it Mm. shoot and it stood up and charged me and i'm (laughs) like oh my gosh and this i mean it was like a 200 pound boar and i'm like dude that thing would tear me up so i just started you know dumping rounds but it (laughs) it goes sideways i've seen other guys get charged and empty full glock mags into them at like point blank and they're still coming after them they're they're no joke thankfully elk and deer you typically don't have to worry about that now i will say i guarantee if i could do my dream hunt it would be yukon moose with my bow and those things dude i've seen those charge people and there's no getting away from that (laughs) you know like you've got to have a 20 inch wide tree in between you and it if you want to stand a chance so i think that one would probably be my highest stress shot that i'll ever take yeah definitely yeah i think what you're and going back to the hogs i think what you're referring to and i'm not an expert on this so i could be wrong but um i've heard it referred to as a shield oftentimes yes and i think it's exactly right I think it is like a callus that's created because when the hogs fight, they tusk, they, you know, they put their tusks into that, their side. And so I think that's what creates that. Um, okay. and it, I could be wrong. I just, I'm just relaying information that was told to me, but I think that's what that is. Um, and yeah, so, you, so they, they always tell you to be mindful about, you know, trying to avoid shooting to shooting the shield or, you know, try to stay you know, back from it just a little bit, little ways. If you can get a quartering away shot, you know, then that way you can kind of sneak it in um, a little bit further back. And then, uh, you know, you don't run the risk of hitting that, but um, yeah, as far as dream hunts, man. uh, Yeah. Alaska for sure. I would love, I I would love to grizzly hunt like Kodiak or something. That's, that would be absolutely insane. Kodiak's a wild place, man. I've got to hunt there twice now. Did a lot of fishing both times, but I've never gone after a grizzly. Like it, it's nerve wracking just being out there with them. Much less if I if I did a grizzly hunt, I think I would want to try it with my bow. And <laughs> I just can't imagine, man. Like yeah. you'd you'd feel accomplished if you put a like a lethal shot on one with a bow. But then obviously you've got a sidearm and you're going to be with a guide because you have to be up there and. I just don't know how it would feel if it was like I've I've heard the stories and I've seen some of the videos of guys who put a lethal shot with their bow and mm-hmm. then immediately after the arrow slips through the guide will shoot it with the rifle to yeah. to like make sure nothing goes sideways and I'm like dude I just don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I'd probably be thankful but also like just let's see what happens. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a little bit sketchy. Um, Chuck Adams, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, he's got a couple books out there where he, you know, he's killed a few Kodiak and uh, the stories that he tells are just unbelievable. You're like, holy cow. I don't, I don't know how you would, how you can just keep your nerves about you, but they're, they get you pumped up for sure. Hearing those stories is really what makes me, what makes me want to do that hunt really bad. Yeah. I've got, I've got some buddies who did it. And if I remember right, uh, one of the guys with them shot an 11 foot square bear up on Kodiak wow. and just a monster and same type of thing. He shot it. They went after it. 
if I remember right, they had to go back the next morning because it was already getting dark and the bear was downwind of them and charged them and they had to put it down at like seven yards. Oof. And I'm like, no, like for me, I mean, you can't really just like walk up on a bear in the open, but also I'd have a really hard time in cover shooting a bear because it's like they can clear some distance. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take anything. They don't have to have a hold of you for a minute. It, it could take two seconds and they would end you. Yeah. So, yeah. oh man. Yeah. Now you got me thinking. I, Alaska in general, like all the greatest hunts in North America, I feel like have to happen in Alaska. And to get up there one day, one day I'll get after a moose and a grizzly. Uh, I don't think it's good. Well, the moose I, I hope to make happen soon. The yeah. grizzly I think is going to be a long game because... I haven't even looked into prices. That's got to be a 20 plus thousand dollar hunt. It's up there. Yeah. I think you're pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely up there, but yeah, that definitely dream hunts up in Alaska, but that'd be an awesome place to hunt. I haven't even ever been to Alaska and I hope to go there sooner than later, but yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's, it's definitely a place that I tell everyone, like you got to get up there at least once. And if you look at it, I mean, we were talking about tag prices here in the lower 48, Tag prices up there are so reasonable in comparison to some of the Western states down here. Like a mm-hmm. moose license is, I want to say it was like 1200 bucks. Yeah. If I draw a moose license in Colorado, it's going to cost me $2,400 to buy the tag, not to mention the $100 preference point fee every year yep. just to you know, be able to draw the tag. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at, realistically, I'll probably be... Forty five hundred dollars deep into that hunt, yeah. Before I even pull the trigger, <laughs> oh jeez. And so I'm like, dude, you could actually go up and have the hunt of a lifetime in Alaska, still potentially shoot a moose. Transportation right. is going to be the expensive part, but mm-hmm. I'd I'd rather hunt a moose in Alaska than Colorado, that's for sure. Yeah, that would be awesome. That'd be awesome. I definitely want to have a couple buddies up there for sure with me. Yeah. Um, I, a couple of people that I've talked to, they're just like, oh man, I don't know if I. I mean, not to debunk it or anything, but they're just like, yeah, one, the one time I hunted it is probably enough. Just, just you know, because packing it out and all the work that's involved. But every single one of every single guy that tells me that has been out multiple times after that. So I'm like, sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, one time's enough. Yeah. No, not nope. for me, man. That yeah. I'm convinced I'll live up there for like a season at some point. You know, I might not move up there permanently, but just to be up there for like three months and get right. to experience it all uh would be incredible what you mentioned uh you don't have an elk hunt this year but uh what do you have on the agenda for 2023 so the only thing i have right now is like i said i applied for north dakota i have uh one preference point so i have like a last year was like a 65 percent chance to draw with one point last year so i assume the number of tags are this roughly the same it went up just a little bit this year so i have a slightly better chance but uh, the hope is that I draw that tag. If I don't, uh, I w- I'll go back to hopefully bear hunting in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness and um, taking on that challenge again. Uh, the the hard part about that hunt is that it, it's it's a leave no trace type of a situation. Uh, but the, the best way to hunt bears in the state of Minnesota is with bait. And so you can hunt them with bait in the boundary waters, but you can't leave it out. You can't put it out and leave it for, you know, any period of time. So if you put it out and you hunt over it, you got all, you got to pick it all back up and then take it back to your camp with you. Dang. And so that like every ad- day you have to do that. Yep. Wow. 
Yeah, you can't. And and again, it's very remote, right? So the chances of, you know, I mean, you could probably get away with it, but I don't, you know what I mean? I'm a firm believer in karma in the woods. Yeah. Uh, and, and as well, I'm in the industry too. So it would, it would be really bad for me to get any sort of, you know, game violation. So, and I also want to do it legit. You know, I want to do it the way that it's all part of that challenge. So it, that's, that's what I want to do. I don't want to cheat. So, uh, again, that's, there's that challenge. Also, you know, another technique would be to do a burn and in the boundary waters, you can't have a fire anywhere outside of the, the campsite fire ring. So, you know, again, trying to go into a little bit of a more remote area where maybe you see some sign and you want to set up, you know, you can't, you just can't do a burn because you're not within that, in those parameters. And they, you know, they have planes that fly over, you know, kind of just making sure everything's okay, you know, rescue teams and all that kind of stuff in case somebody, you know, doesn't, you know, gets lost or doesn't come out. And so, you know, they can see a plume of smoke coming from, you know, an area that isn't designated. So again, I want to avoid that. Don't want to get in any trouble for that. And so, uh, Last year when I went up there too, I didn't, so you have to get an access permit uh, to get in um, anywhere between, I think it's May 1st and the end of September. And so I didn't think I was going to draw the bear tag, but I did. And I didn't have my access permit. It was already too late. So I couldn't go in until October 1st. And so that's, that's getting a little bit late into the season. It gets a little tougher to hunt them at that time. Um, So now this year, uh, I've got my access permit for September 3rd. The season opens on the 1st, but I, uh, by the, I got in, they start selling the access permits at 9 a.m. in the morning on January 26th. I didn't get in until 9.03 and that Friday and Saturday were already gone. So, um, so I got my access permit for the 3rd and then, uh, uh, so I'll, I'll go in a little bit early and then, or much earlier than I did last year. And then you can go in just you don't need to have the access permit. You can go in just for the day. And so what I'll do is, you know, maybe a week before something, I'll go up there. And so a buddy of mine told me about this really cool trick and I'd never heard of it before, but you can, you can spray scent. You can do scent, you know, wherever you want. There's no restriction on that. And so I'm going to put some scent in a super soaker and I'm going to go up there and then just spray it. You spray it up in the trees, you get it up underneath the leaves and stuff so that the rain doesn't wash the scent away. And then just kind of try to create a zone where, where they might start kind of hanging out, you know, thinking maybe there's going to be some food. So I've got a few new tactics that I think will work really well. I'm going to do a lot of fishing and I'll just use the fish carcasses, you know, for bait. And, uh, we'll see what happens. Hopefully I can make it happen. But of course, if I draw the North Dakota tag, that's going to be my plan. That's what I'm going to do. Nice. Is it, is it only fall hunting for bears up there? Is there any spring opportunity? No, no spring opportunity. It's all fall. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, man, it'd be, I I'd be interested. I heard that predation on fawns is pretty high with black bears and it'd be cool to like, try to call one in with like fawn distress calls or something like that. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that. Cause that's another technique that I didn't, uh, I didn't have an opportunity to take advantage of. Uh, I, I suppose, you know, I probably could have tried to make some squealing sounds with my mouth. I'm sure that that would, that might suffice. You know, uh, I did kill a couple of ducks while I was up there. So I was using the duck carcasses as bait. And then, um, as I was sitting in the tree, a, uh, uh, uh pine Martin came in and stole my duck carcasses right out from underneath. Dang. So, yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it because you can't, you can only trap Pine Martin in the state of Minnesota. You can't shoot them. Yeah. So I just said to watch him take my bait away. And <laughs> that's pretty, that's a pretty wild experience though, man. That's cool. Mm-hmm. 
Well, dude, good luck to you this season. And yeah, hopefully you draw your North Dakota tag. Um, before we hop off, I want to give you a chance to share with people where they can find you, where they can follow along and then what to look out for as far as the podcast goes. Yeah, for sure. So if you want to find me, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, uh, Instagram, I'm Ricky dot Wayne 80 Facebook. It's just Ricky W Bruley. And then you can find vapor trail on both Instagram and, um, Facebook. Uh, we're on a few other, uh, social media platforms as well. TikTok and, some other things. And then, um, as far as, uh, the podcast goes, sorry, had a little, uh, brain fart there. Uh, as far as the podcast goes yet, we're hoping to start launching that on May one. And, you know, if anybody has, if you have any suggestions or if there's anybody that has any interest, you got a cool story or anybody that's interested in being on the podcast, feel free to reach out and, and we'll kind of take it from there. So, yeah, but I really appreciate you having me on, man. It's been a blast.